Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. everybody and welcome to episode number 10 of the Supercharge My Practice podcast. Today I am super excited to be uh, interviewing the amazing Daniel Baden who is an internationally recognized and well-respected naturopath and homeopath with over three decades of experience. Beginning his journey as a clinician, Daniel has amassed many roles over the years including consultant to and member of industry regulatory committees technical support to practitioners, assisting various groups in research projects, lecturer, author, and co-founder of Biomedica Nutraceuticals. Daniel Baden, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today. And it is an absolute honor to be here. Thank you. Now, I've got lots that I want to talk to you about, so I'm just going to dive right in. But before we dive into some of the more juicy stuff that will help our practitioners build their practices, I'd like to go back a little bit of a step and find out a little bit more about you in your original journey as a new clinician. So you started practicing in 1989 when natural medicine wasn't very well known at that time. So I'd love for you to share with us your journey in building a practice, the highs, the lows, and some of the key lessons you learned along the way. Mm, thank you. What a big question. <laughs> um, yeah, look, in 1989, we were basically called hippies and all sorts of names. And things like the microbiome weren't talked about. No one knew what it was. I remember lecturing about it in 1990 and people were just going, what are you talking about? Um, and things like conferences were major blockbusters because we were really at the beginning of what I would call modern naturopathy. So when somebody like Ian Brighthope or Jeff Bland put on a conference, there would have been two to 400 people at each event because there was really so little education. It was quite a different time and quite exciting in those days. Um, so in starting a practice, there was a need, but um, it was all self-learning. So uh, we would um, I, I committed to opening a practice every day of the week. And I think that's really important to commit to that sort of thing. You had to make yourself available to people. Um, but we're also, I was also quite honest with my own abilities and what I could do and what my interests were at that time. So I was, like many naturopaths, interested in gut health and immune health, but I was probably not that good or not that strong at female reproductive as an example. So I would happily refer those patients off to friends of mine and colleagues and classmates who were good at that stuff. And we had this really nice community of referring people around to to where our strengths and weaknesses lay. Um, and it was, no, it was lovely. It was a nice time to be, you know, starting a practice. And what did you find challenging in starting the practice? Because obviously you're in an era where nobody really knows natural medicine or really trusts in it. So how did you start getting your first clients? How did you network and build your practice? Um, I did a couple of things. I went and did a creative writing course when I finished, when I graduated from naturopathy. And I learned how to write properly for the right um, vehicles. So I was a health writer for a few magazines that were around at the time and also the local newspaper. I had a health column in the newspaper. Uh, that developed into um, being a regular guest on some radio shows. And over time, that developed into a couple of small TV 
uh, type programs as well. So I was the naturopath on the Kerry Ann Kennelly show uh, oh. for a while. So <laughs> and and also went back and did some lecturing at the colleges. So all of those things, you've just got to be out there. You and that still applies today. Um, you just have to put yourself into the community and let people know that you're not some crazy weird person with weird ideas. Although, you know, some people might see me that way. Um, uh, and But at the end of the day, you just have to be uh, out there for people so they understand and they build confidence and trust in who you are and what you offer. Mm, I love that. And it's quite interesting. It's just by chance a lot of the um, interviews that I've had with practitioners over the last few weeks, they're all relying on more old school, what I call old school approaches. They're the things that I did as a practitioner growing up, which was reaching out to your community. So you see a lot of newer practitioners coming out now where they've got such a heavy reliance on social media. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with social media for building a business. I think it is pivotal. But I think there's a lot of practitioners today that are missing out on that community engagement and connection to build their brand. And those things help you connect more with patients when you're there in person with them as opposed to being an online presence. So it's absolutely amazing for me to hear so many practitioners that are still or did back then uh, rely on those community standards and and connections to build their practices because nothing beats that in my opinion. Now you co-founded Biomedica, which is an amazing supplement uh, practitioner-only brand supplement company. I'd love to know what motivated you to do so and how you transitioned from clinical practice into building this incredible company. Yeah, look, when I was a student, I was a to earn some money to pay for the course. I was a sales rep part time for uh, Bioconcepts, and um, that was in the mid eighties, and. Bioconcepts, when I graduated, they said, oh, do you want to be our distributor in New South Wales? And so I took on that role as being their distributor. And then we developed some other brands under the distribution belt. So I had a company I started also in 1989 called Traditional Medicine Supplies. And it was a a significant player in the distribution channel. We had, I don't know, 150-odd brands and 10,000 products. And um, we – but – I went to see uh, a client of ours, a guy called Garth Harris. And Garth is, you know, as people will know, he was the co-founder in Biomedica with me. And we were just having a chat one day. We were both still in practice and Garth still is in practice. And uh, we were just, I don't know, not whinging, but complaining that we would write a prescription for a product. The person would go to a health food store or, or some pharmacies. And if they didn't have the product we prescribed, the uh, the owner of the shop would, would just substitute it for something else. But we would often want a specific ingredient or quantity in that product. And we, it was just frustrating as a practitioner. And I guess we were just joking around going, oh, we should just start our own brand, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and then those ha, ha, ha's, start, we, you look at each other and go, oh, maybe we should start our own brand. <laughs> and, and we actually did. So Biomedica started for Garth and I. We both had pretty busy clinics uh started as a brand that we really wanted for our own practices and that was in the times just before the big tga crisis um and so we were mainly selling or or storing products that we only sold to our patients and a few other practitioners but after tga we had to make a big decision um so when pan laboratories crashed in the early 2000s uh, 2003 i think it was um, everything changed and we had to decide um, whether we wanted to be a brand or just stay in our clinics. 
and because the 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 owners had to create a product and maintain a, a company had increased dramatically on costs um you had to produce a certain number of products or tablets per run to make it financially viable no one's going to pay $200 for a bottle of multivitamins so we made a, a decision to yes the brand is good the products work so we want to keep going and and so um i started to narrow my practice down and garth kept going and um you know because i've always liked the business side of things as well and i decided to run the company and garth uh, was supportive of me in that and so that's how biomedica really started we were kind of uh, we we're doing it for ourselves self selfishly but eventually um you know we we were thrown into the deep end because of um, a crisis in the health industry mm, amazing so mm. through Biomedica, you obviously had a lot of extensive interactions with practitioners, and I'd yes. love to uh, get your opinion on what you noticed from those practitioners that were successful. Did you see any common traits or strategies that they used or anything you use personally in your own clinic that you uh, can pass on to our listeners? Yeah, look, you know, in Australia, and this still stands, there's probably uh, 20% of the practitioners, like the old 2080 rule, run probably 80% of the turnover or the revenue in the in the practitioner space so you know there are a handful of practitioners in each state in Australia that just run enormous successful practices and they all have a similar trait and those traits are they have complete trust in their own knowledge and 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 they stick with the basics they don't jump around with the latest whatever so when, you know, and as an example, when a lot of people go to a conference or a seminar, for a number of brands, that is the time they sell a lot of products. So if someone goes to their seminar, all of a sudden they're selling a lot of that echinacea or a lot of that vitamin C or whatever that product is. The big successful guys don't. They are the worst people in my experience to, to buy up after a conference because they really trust themselves. And when they're presented with that sort of information, they take the information away. They look at it, they try to understand it, and they try to see if it fits in with their understanding of who they are, what they believe in, and they'll then they'll make a decision as to if they're going to purchase that product or not. And that's a significant difference to what I see in a lot of um, newer uh, practitioners who, in my opinion, may lack a bit of confidence, and they go somewhere and the company says, you know, if you don't take this product, you're going to die tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> they're going to go away and buy hundred of those bottles. So that was one of the big, big things I saw. I saw a lot of the big guys don't uh, do a lot of testing, for example. They often don't do a lot of DNA testing. But, um, you know, they stick with the basics of naturopathy. And one of the most important things they do, they take their patients on that journey with them. So what they do is they really talk to their patients about understanding the value of holism and the holistic philosophies. And the patients eventually become devotees of holistic medicine mm. and and that's really important and the other thing they do they surround themselves with people that from their tribe with their uh, suppliers customers um, staff they employ and finally they have a deep understanding of their clinic they really understand the numbers they understand where their bread and butter comes from mm, excellent and similarly what about any common traits that you noticed or common struggles, I guess I should say, amongst the practitioners maybe that weren't as successful 
in their clinics. Did you observe anything and do you have any suggestions for our listeners who are in that space that's struggling to build a practice? Yeah, look, I guess it's kind of the opposite of what I just said. You know, and and I think people really need to take confidence in themselves and what really resonates with them, what's really important to them, what they hold true to their heart. And, you know, not everyone will pick up every patient in around. You'll always find those people that also resonate with you. And there's plenty of those people around who will have the same uh philosophies as you as, as far as patients go so it's really important to to stick to who you are and and really take confidence in your own abilities and and just uh focus on what's important to you i found the uh you know once again the successful practitioners do the ones that weren't or as successful or always struggled really there was a noticeable uh, lack of self-confidence in their abilities to practice. And we saw that all the time uh, through when I earned Biomedica through the hotline and things like that. People would ring up with, with questions and, you know, and second-guessing themselves. It's okay to, to take, you know, to, to, to talk about a problem, but often they just didn't have the confidence to even know where to start. Uh, although when you talk to those people, you could see that they actually had the knowledge. They It just wasn't coming to the surface i interviewed uh, carla wren who's an incredible nap yeah. in the uh, mornington peninsula that was an episode that was released yesterday and we talked a lot about this specifically about confidence and when you've got the confidence to portray to your clients it doesn't matter if you don't have all of the answers and i think that's a big trap that our practitioners fall in they they think that they have to know everything and they're so worried about a patient asking them something that they may not be as familiar with, that they get in their own heads and then that becomes a barrier to them connecting with that client and giving the client confidence in that care. And uh, a beautiful quote from uh, Carla was that you don't have to know all the answers, you just need to know where to look for those answers. Exactly. I think that's really pertinent for everybody to hear and understand because, like you said, building your tribe around you, a lot of these incredible uh, practitioner-only brands have got hotlines that you can reach out to, can obviously refer to research, re- reaching out in Facebook groups to fellow practitioners or those that you graduated with. So you don't, you just need to be confident to your patient and say to them that you don't necessarily know the answer, but you're going to look for it. And I think patients really value us as practitioners when we take that initiative to try to understand their condition and learn more about them. I know that was certainly my experience as a practitioner as well. Now, um, I read some information that you ran a presentation where you asked the practitioners in the group some information about key metrics, which included things like do they know where their referrals are coming from, do they know the difference between profit and income, and do they know um, how how well they are in their rebooking rates? And what I read was quite shocking, shocking to me. I'd love for you to share with our listeners some of the more details about what happened in that presentation and the responses that you got from that. Well, this was some years ago. And, and what, well, you know, obviously what goes out years ago comes back to haunt you eventually. So thank you for finding <laughs> that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, um, the, what actually happened was I did some and at Biomedica, we used to do a lot of surveys and questions and try to work out what people needed and what they wanted and how we could help. So we did some surveys and I presented some of that at a conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a few years ago now, but I'm sure nothing has changed much. 
And a lot of practitioners uh, who are really devoted to holistic medicine and have amazing hearts and amazing brains uh, just didn't really understand how to run a practice. Uh, some do and some don't, you know, and you can't uh, cast everyone in the same boat. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's too many that just didn't understand the difference between uh, the business language, the revenue, the profit, the net profit. Uh, some people didn't pay tax on time, got big penalties, all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that people really understand the metrics or the numbers about their practice. You know, what is their major source of income? Is it is it their patients? Is it their product sales? What happens when you change from selling your own products off the shelf to using a third-party uh, supplier? You know, there's a, few, there's a couple of those, you know, online sort of dispensary sort of things now. You know, what happens to the what happens to your profit? Uh, what is that important to you? And you know, how many referrals do you get back? How many of your patients send other patients into you? And is it one percent or ninety percent? Why? And all of these sorts of metrics, I just think, are really important. And you've got to listen to them, and then you've just got to sit down and be honest with yourself, and just say, well. Why are only 5% of my uh, patients who I get success with and happy results with only, only referring patients to me? Why isn't it 70% of them or whatever number you think is appropriate? And really just try to understand, talk to your patients, say, hey, look, I noticed that you know we had a great results, we have a good rapport. Uh, have you referred anybody to me? And they go, oh, no, I haven't. I haven't thought about it, um, that sort of thing. So you've just got to really understand the basics of your business. You've got to understand where the money comes and where it goes. And a lot of people just don't get that. Yeah, I appreciate that completely. I've been in practice for over 22 years now, and I've had quite a few practitioners coming to either rent rooms from me or contract to me. And the one thing I found consistently amongst the majority of them was that they had no idea how to market themselves. They had no idea about, you know, the, the basics of the fundamentals of running a business. And I think a lot of that comes from our education. We're taught how to be good clinicians, but we're not taught how to be, be good business people. And I think in our industry, a lot of practitioners have a passion for helping other people. So that comes first and foremost, and they're not really interested in the business side of things. And it's actually what inspired us to create the My Appointments platform because practitioners don't know mm. their numbers. They don't know the basics of client retention. So we've built all these tools that automate referrals and following up of clients and uh, yeah. communicating with clients between consultations because those are the things that help you build a practice on autopilot where you are getting referrals and building from that rather than having to rely on external marketing or social media or the things that take up so much time. So I think it's absolutely pivotal to understand those numbers. And even the basics, like you said, knowing when how many people are rebooking, if they're not rebooking, why aren't they rebooking? And often that stems down again to the confidence of the practitioner feeling like, they uh, worried what is the patient going to say if I ask them to rebook. But clinicians need to understand that their role is just to tell their patients what they need. And if the patients don't follow their advice, well, that's on them. But as long as they're giving the patients the information, at least the patient has the opportunity to then book and come in to see them rather than walking away thinking that maybe that practitioner can't help them or doesn't want to see them because they didn't ask them to rebook. So I love that yeah. lesson and I hope our practitioners start looking at some of those really important details, including return on investment, on advertising and things that they're doing as well. Yeah, and, and look, some people have taken, uh, and this isn't casting aspersions on any other company, but, um, you know, when people, when you have a patient and 
most practitioners will have an idea in their mind about what they want to do with that patient for the next three or six months. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, okay, step one to me, the plan is I'm going to get them to this point and then I'm going to review their medication and then I'm going to consider what, what happens next. And so that's fine. So the patient comes to see you in the old days, you would give them three bottles of whatever product you're using or mix herbs for X amount of time because you had a plan. But these days, a lot of practitioners are going to, to third-party suppliers um, where they, they write an electronic script and they can the patient can refill it every you know time they run out of medicine. However, we did some surveys, uh, including our own patient ordering system at Biomedica and other you know, uh, third-party companies, and we noticed that um, around 50% of the patients all up uh, only got the first prescription and then stopped repeating because the patient got better or their symptoms improved, and they go, oh, I'm fine now, I won't get the repeats. So what happens then? Uh, you lose contact with the income, um, but you also lose contact with the patient. So when, they're, when, they're, when they've got their ongoing, uh, when they're having to come to you to get their medicines, or you ring them and say, look, it's now time for you to come back and see me again because I, your medicine should have run out by now. You kind of lose that continuity. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. And then I would say to practice, well, you've dropped, you know, 10 or $50,000 in income because you've half your patients aren't getting repeats. How do you feel about that? Oh yeah, it's very convenient for me to use those systems. Well, that's great. But what are you going to do with the missing income? How are you going to manage that? Because you've still got rent to pay and you've still got staff to pay and all that sort of stuff. So you know, that's what I mean by really understanding the practice and the dollars and where they are and what, what it means to change your business models. Mm, absolutely. And that kind of a, a bit of a side note on that is, you know, you know, you mentioned that you've kind of got a, a plan for a patient for the next three to six months, but how many practitioners are actually communicating that with their patients? If a patient comes to see you and you are telling them, this is the plan over the next three to six months, I'm going to need to see you once a week for the next two to three weeks and then once a month for the next few months so that we can get on top of these form lifetime habits and ensure that this problem stays away for as long as possible. This is what I need you to do. And when you impart that confidence onto your client and they know what to expect, the difference in retention for that client versus you not giving your client the roadmap is exponential. So I'd encourage anyone listening that if you aren't outlaying your plans to your patients in the initial consultation, if you don't know the plan in the initial consultation and you need to research, you tell the client that, and then in the next visit you'll tell them, you will notice a huge, huge, huge improvement in your retention rates. And naturally, client retention leads to better results. Better results leads to more referral, and that's how you start building a practice on autopilot that's going to be continually busy. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, building trust and credibility is absolutely crucial in healthcare. I'd love to understand from you, what you believe is important to establish and maintain trust with patients? Um, the number one word that comes to mind, and I use it all the time, is listen. And and there is a big difference between listening and hearing. So we all hear, but not all of us listen. And listen is a skill I think is important to develop. And and you we as practitioners need to learn how to listen really well also. So, you know, the patients often don't feel, and in a busy uh, modern healthcare system, there are certainly not enough doctors out there that have the time to listen to the patient. So they don't have anywhere to go. 
And they come to us as holistic practitioners because traditionally we would be the ones that would have the time to listen to them. And listening is is almost half the treatment in my view. Um, people want to get stuff off their chest. They want someone to appreciate and understand who they are and what their needs are. And I really think holistic practitioners are fantastic at that if we allow ourselves to be. So number one is just listen to the patient um, and understand um, understand what they what their needs are, and um, you know, and under, and and the trust comes from them once again developing that that skill of of appreciating what naturopathic or holistic philosophies are about, um, and they start to resonate with you, and I think that's also very important. Mm, excellent. Now, natural health is often met with scepticism. So how do you approach educating patients and addressing their concerns? And what advice can you give to practitioners dealing with scepticism or uninformed patients? Yeah, look, there's no doubt that there's a lot of noise out there. Um, although I generally feel that the scepticism is is uh, decreasing slowly, mm. there's a, uh, a few very loud sceptics, yes. uh, a big group of people uh, who don't know, don't care, and a, uh, a smaller group of people that uh, do know and do care and do support. So, you know, there are a few loud sceptics, a lot of noise, but I think it's really important for us to have um, clarity in thought about who we are, surround ourselves with our tribe, um, because sometimes, you know, you can be challenged by a, a medical professional from another field who, um, you know, might attempt to undermine your confidence in what you've done or why you're doing it. And that's why it's really important to, to have your tribe with you to discuss some of these issues and say, hey, actually, hang on, I've done the right thing. Also, it's important to back yourself up with research if you have it available. But not everything we do has good research available. Some things do and some things don't. But that's the same in medicine. Mm -hmm. But when you take emotion out of it and you really listen to what the skeptic is saying, you, you, you go, well, actually, what are they talking about? Because it doesn't make sense. Their argument doesn't make sense. So don't allow yourself to get emotional about the noise. Don't allow yourself to get emotional about what someone is challenging you with. Just take a moment to really try to listen and understand what they're saying. And then you go, actually, you know what? I'm okay. Mm, love that. Now, what factors do you credit to your success? You're an, obviously a thriving entrepreneur. You've established a multi-million dollar company. So, Daniel, what makes you so special to have been so successful? Right. Okay. Um, so when we started Biomedica and, and uh, even traditional medicine supplies, the other company, the one thing Garth and I always started with is a minimal acceptable standard. And I just think that is a word that we should use in every business and in every clinic and every sort of practice. What is your minimal acceptable standard which you will never deviate from? Mm -hmm. And that might go to uh, the raw materials you choose in the case of a supplement company, the education you provide, the sales channels. We had so much pressure throughout our career at Biomedica to sell to chemists and to sell to all sorts of areas that we would have made a lot more money from, but we always just said no because that does not meet our minimal acceptable standard. Um, and the you know we we get provided with all sorts of ingredients with all sorts of um, 
studies behind them. And when you look at the studies, a lot of them are just rubbish. They did not meet the minimal acceptable standard. So that is the very basis for me. And um, also, once again, comes back to listening, what the community wants and how we can help. When we develop products, we didn't... Uh, we had a fairly different approach. We listened and we tried to understand through our own clinical experience and Garth was in continual practice of what was needed in clinical practice. Most companies in the market, um, new product development came from marketing trends. In fact, some of the bigger companies, their head of product development was also their marketing manager. So mm-hmm. they would they would look at what the marketing trends were overseas and they go, right, that's what we need. But for us, it was about what do the clinicians need how is what's missing to make you to make our clients uh, more effective as clinical practitioners? And uh, we never deviated from that. So we really had a commitment to what we believed in. We never deviated from it, even though sometimes we thought it would cost us uh, customers. It actually never did. So you know, we launched a couple of uh, responses uh, to things like MTHFR or copper use. And and we said, look, you may not believe, but this is what we believe, and we got amazing support for those for those um, thoughts, even though we thought we'd lose half our customers. Um, so you know, you just have to believe in what you do, stand by it, and then at the end of the day, also really understand the numbers. And if you don't understand the numbers, find someone or employ someone that does who can really uh, help you understand what what uh, you need to do to, to make your business or your practice happen. Uh, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be good at everything, but you need to work with people that are. Mm, excellent. I like that. Now, if you oh, – sorry, you've really you've um, sold Biomedica. I want to touch on that as well because you've obviously sold Biomedica now. Uh, I'd love to fill the gap of what you're doing now. I know you've released a podcast called A Patient Story. I'd love mm-hmm. to talk about what the podcast is about, what inspired it. And where, what is the Daniel Baden of today post-Biomedica? <laughs> Relaxed. Cortisol <laughs> levels are nice and chilled. <laughs> uh, look, the podcast is is fun. It's a, it's a hobby for me, but it, it is a continuation of my passion and belief that people get better results with good products when they, when they work with a practitioner. And whilst it's okay to self-prescribe for some minor ailments, a common cold or flu, for a lot of people, it just doesn't cut it. I don't think going into a store of any sort and buying an off-the-shelf product and treating yourself for your chronic arthritis or whatever condition you have is really helpful to the patient or helpful to naturopathy or holistic medicine. Because at the end of the day, if you go in to a chemist and you buy some discounted omega fish oils and you take a couple and go oh, that didn't do anything uh what do you think about natural medicine what do you think about natural medicine products and you go oh that, that stuff just doesn't work so you know for me it's just so important to to uh work with practitioners and a patient's story uh delves back to your previous query around uh, building trust and credibility and skepticism around what we do as a profession. And, it, you know, I realized that some time ago, because uh, I did a lot of political advocacy work at some point, that uh, our most powerful tool as holistic practitioners and, and in our profession and industry is the amazing results we get. Sometimes we just perform magic with some patients, and we've all seen it. And, 
you know, a patient story is just an opportunity to show off what we do. Uh, it's 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 pat ourselves on the back and say we just do such good work as holistic practitioners. We shouldn't be fearful of anything. We should just tell the skeptics to go away because here are the real stories of people, and that's what a patient story is about. And it's targeted at the consumer to the patients themselves rather than the practitioners because I know you also do case notes and stuff with practitioners or case taking. It's targeted to anybody who wants to listen. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think the mix currently is around about 50-50 practitioners and and, uh, and general public um, Mm. from from the minimal amount of uh, feedback that I get uh, is my understanding. So... You know, I just wanted people if they if they were diagnosed with a brain tumor, not and didn't know what their options were, just to say, hey, here's some options. Here's some people that have have had what you had, and this is their story. And here's another path you can walk down if you want to. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it's about. So um, yeah, it's really just about uh, giving people confidence that natural medicine can do amazing things. Excellent. I think it's good for practitioners to also hear those success stories because sometimes yes. you get a little bit down in your practice and uh, you you know you start questioning whether this is the right profession for you. And I think hearing those incredible stories, even if they're not your own, they're not the patient that you helped, hearing and knowing that those patients were helped through natural medicine is a really good driver to help practitioners continue on with their practice. So one piece, uh, one final question for you, Daniel, and it's something I ask everybody. If you were to give just one piece of advice to natural health practitioners aiming to build a successful business that they love, what would it be? Oh, gee, there's not one word, but there's probably a couple of words. One is listen. Just listen to everyone around you. Really listen. Take it in. Assess it. Observe. Reflect. And and don't you know? Don't rush into stuff. Just really see if things resonate with you and what you've developed as your own minimal acceptable standard. And that is just so important. Don't go, you know, I um, we come across so many practitioners who would use a particular fish oil, but then they swap to another brand because they got an extra 10% off. To me, that's just incorrect thinking because, you know, there's this, throughout my practice and business career, there is there is one lyric from a song which I just keep, singing to myself or telling myself and it's from hunters and collectors and it's called blind eye the song and and the the lyric is when success is on your mind but your true direction is missing and and i just love it because it really emphasizes everything to me don't worry about success don't worry about making money think about what you are who you are who you are there for and who you like to be around and associate with and that, and success will come to you. Money will come to you. Money comes in that respect as well. When you're focused on results and helping your patients and doing everything that at your core level calls to you, the money will naturally follow. And I think that's yeah. the problem that some practitioners do face is that, and obviously we have to understand that people need money. You know, there's it's it's not to diminish that capacity, but when your focus isn't the money and your focus is the patient, you'll find that the money comes with that as well. Yeah. Now, Daniel, for people that want to follow you or learn more or follow your journey as, as you've left Biomedica now on your, your podcast, where is the best place for them to find you now? Um, well, they can, uh, if they want to have a chat about anything, I'm on Facebook and what's the other thing? 
uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad on social media. <laughs> um, and uh, they can also uh, send me an email. It's just my name inverted, Daniel at gmail.com. Uh, if they if they want to have a chat about anything and um, the podcast is a patient story and they can listen to a patient story on any of the regular um, podcast apps beautiful thank you daniel it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for imparting your three decades plus of wisdom with our practitioners and we appreciate your time my pleasure. And I'd like to thank you and congratulate you for finding my appointment. I've had a good look at it and I just think it is an amazing tool. I hope you go really well with it. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Supercharged My Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by My Appointments.